If you're looking for a snack that packs a punch, look no further than Avinola, a granola that can be taken on the go and it's so versatile that it can be eaten as a snack or as a meal. We love Avinola because of its nutritional content. Lots of granolas have a high sugar content, but not Avinola. This granola is sweetened with monk fruit, so it actually doesn't spike your blood sugar, and it's a great option for those who may be diabetic or looking for a low sugar alternative compared to other granolas. I mean, what could be better than a granola that only has one gram of sugar? Not to mention it's keto approved. So that means it's only got one gram of carbohydrates. And this is because it's made with lupini beans. And y'all, I have to tell you right now, I would have no idea this wasn't made from a grain because it tastes so good. So go grab yourself a bag of Avinola at avi-foods.com and upgrade your granola fix right now. Use our code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your first order. Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilot's Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our lovely co-host, Maddie. Hello, everyone. This week, we are joined with our guest, Sagi Kaiser. Thank you for joining us, Sagi. Hey, thank you very much for having me today. So we in, we like cross paths on Instagram. You contacted us, I believe, on the Pilot's Pandemic page and said that you wanted to come on the show because you had some subjects that you're super passionate about, which I am stoked to get into you today because anyone who listens to this show religiously has heard us constantly talk about 141, 161. But today we're going to kind of get into the meat and bones of that. But as you all know, we always start the show by asking our guests, how did your passion for aviation begin? And was there someone inspired you or supported you along the way? Um, yeah, so first of all, I, I started my aviation journey um, very early. Uh, my father got his private pilot um, way back then, and he tried to get me into it. Um, he couldn't, I couldn't care less about Cessnas and big airplanes and all of that stuff. Um, and then I just, you know, I didn't care. And then later on, when I became a little bit more interested in joining the army and 
you know, doing the service, um, I came across fighter jets. Um, and that's something that kind of caught my attention. And from there, it was like an immediate, I immediately fell in love with um, uh, aviation. And and I just decided that that's what I'm going to do, regardless of whether it's in the army or not. Um, and from there, it's a love story. <laughs> We love a love story. Um, I was kind of wondering what are some of the positives of your flight training and maybe negatives too that you experienced on your journey to your private pilot's license? Sure. Um, so my positive things of my flight training, um, I have to say I saw a very distinct, um, I want to say attention that I paid to my training. You know, when you are a kid and you have to study your parents telling you hey it's very important for you to study it's very important for you to succeed and you kind of say like yeah yeah i agree it's important but you never actually you know give your 100 percent um for everything and when it's you on the line and where it's you waking up every day to do um to do that and only that this is where you kind of discover oh I, I should be good at that because that's what I'm here for. And I should be uh, more interested in, I don't know, a topic that I'm very bad at, for example, example like systems. Um, and then you wake up in the morning and you all, all your head cares about is just just the topic. So that's, that's the positive side of it, uh, discovering how ambitious and competitive you can be. Um, and as far as negative stuff, I want to say that and it kind of relates to what we spoke of before, the 141 school. Um, when I came to 141, I came with a different program. So I was like, I kind of hooked. I didn't, I couldn't live um, to the benefit of my career. And I discovered the 141 world, which to me was kind of uh, mind-blowing because everything that I knew about aviation, um, you know, just the freedom of aviation, everything was bound by checklists and syllabus and uh, you have to do that until that time and you have to do that until that time and the freedom that I was uh, dreaming about was kind of, kind of disappeared uh, so that was kind of uh, the, the downside of my uh, flight training yeah I can definitely relate to both your positive and your negative one of the most interesting things about my flight training experience in the beginning was just like learning all these new things and realizing how much you're capable of is such a enlightening process. But also I started out at a 141 program that was very binding and I get what you mean. I was searching for that freedom. So can you explain to me the differences between 141 and 161 um, and the training that you got under 141 and 61? And why do you think one is better than the other? Ooh. Um, so it's a very long, it's a very long uh, conversation we can have about that. This is what we're here for. Um, but I didn't realize how important it is, uh, the one, the 61, uh, part 61 training until I actually became a CFI and until I actually was instructing in 61 school. Um, I was initially instructing in 141 school and up until that point, I, I thought that that's the best thing you can do. Um, and then I, like a job opportunity presented itself and I had to relocate and to move from a 141 environment to a 61 environment. 
Um, and then suddenly I, I realized how open it is and how um, it tailor-made it can be and how much the student can benefit from um, the experience of the instructor. Uh, and the instructor can identify, for example, hey, I know you're bad at uh, landings, so let's today practice only landings, although the syllabus says something else. Um, or I know today is a good day, so maybe we'll just fly somewhere else and uh, go grab, grab some lunch or something like that. Um, or go, I'm flying right in the Bay Area, so maybe we can do takeoff landings in Half Moon Bay and just do a bay tour towards the Golden Gate Bridge. So those kind of things I couldn't do when I was a student pilot. Most of this time when I was a student pilot under 141 school, I had to go up, do the maneuvers, do the landings, go down. Um, never had this, you know, like fun type of environment. Um, so that's that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that you can actually, I, I can always compare my students um, today to where, to when I was a student. And I always tell them that, to, in my opinion, they better pilot than what I was. Because all I knew was, Lesson number one, we're doing that. Lesson number two, we do that. Lesson number three, we do that. Then in part 61, they have much more time to accumulate solo time. They have much more opportunities uh, to go out and discover other flying clubs and talk to, to create an aviation community around them. Um, and it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing to me. And you can see them growing up in the, in the community without getting the licenses. Yeah, the I think, um, and just to kind of expand for our listeners, if you don't know the difference between part 141 and 61, 141 is like the more structured, accelerated program to get your your pilot's license. And then 61 is more like it's on you to do it on your own time. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm in part 61 school myself. And I love that you talked about like the structure versus the non-structure strategy because um, I think that's kind of what I'm I'm feeling right now is like my instructors don't really have like they ask me they're like where are you at in your training because I have different instructors so they don't I haven't flown with all of them and so they kind of ask like what do you want to do today um, and if I don't want to just be in the pattern because that's like the main thing that I'm practicing for for my solo they're like okay well we can go and and practice other things so just a few days ago we did a few rounds in the pattern but then we went to a new airport that I hadn't been to which is Orcas Island so we have beautiful flying up here too because we get to go to the San Juans all the time so I just um, sometimes I just look around for the different airports and I'm like okay I want to go to this one today um, which is very lucky because if I was part of a very structured school, I probably wouldn't be able to do that. Um, and I think that also when you have such structure and a plan and you don't feel like you can deviate from that plan, it it can cause a lot more stress on the student. Um, so thanks for, for sharing that with us, because I do think that that's important to know about the different structures of the school and, and the learning process that takes place. Yeah, definitely. I think that when I was a student pilot, um, I knew that 141, and I think it has to be said, 141, in my opinion, are more designed to people that know they're going to be um, commercial pilot, right? Mm -hmm. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to work at. So they kind of like, they never see the end at the private pilot. They never see the end of the process at the instrument. They see all the way down to the 1500 
Um, so I'm going to get my CFI licenses and then I'm going to instruct over here. And in my opinion, is almost it's almost a bad word to say the 1500 because um, you're always, always, always pushing yourself. You have the, the new goal, which is great. But at the end of the day, you want to enjoy this progress yes. and you want to enjoy this environment. Um, mm -hmm. And I never get to fly alone. I said, put, put the solo aside. I never get to fly alone with a passenger of me being the piloting commander with a passenger until I was a CFI. Really? And and I was I was afraid. I was afraid. <laughs> yeah. Um so in my opinion, if I could I could get some time to fly with passengers after you get your private pilot. So okay. did the one the like, 141 regulations like they don't allow you to fly with people in the back? So it depends. If if you are flying with an instructor on board as part of flight training, yes, they let you do that. But um, they let you do that for, you know, for the for the passenger to to study, to oversee you. Um, and most of the time, this passenger is going to be another student. Yeah. Um, it's never it's never your father or your brother who want to, you know, join. Yeah. Um, That's a bummer because I take my husband all the time with me whenever he can because he's also a CFI. And I want him to film me so that I can kind of see what I need to work on. And then he can also be involved and be like, hey, I saw this when I was filming this or whatever. Um, but I just I would just was talking to Emma before we got on with you. And I was like, my mom's coming with me to go on one of my flights in two weeks. And I'm really excited to take her. She hates small planes, but it's just mm -hmm. it's fun to bring your family along to see you train. And it makes it more fun, like you said. Of course, yeah. of course it's it's amazing for them to see you flying one thing i know maddie's about to ask you another question but i think you know part of those goals is like being able to share that with your family and your friends makes all of that studying all of that trial and tribulation so much worth it all that money that you spent and all the time that you couldn't spend with your significant other or your family like when you finally get to take them once you get your private pilot that's like, that's huge. That was one of the, my biggest goals. Like there are three big things that made me keep on pushing and knowing that I was going to be able to take my mom flying and that I could be the PIC and I could show her that I could do that. And I was capable of that was such a huge part of my training. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, the next question that I had is like the cost differential between 61 and 141. I'm thinking it's like a really huge difference, but I don't actually know. Um, do you do you know kind of the difference between going to part 61 school versus going to a 141? So it's a very good question. And I kind of, uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, I spoke with him about that a couple of days ago. Um, initially, I thought that 141 is cheaper because it's an accelerated program. Mm -hmm. um, but I came to realize that it's not necessarily going to be the case because I saw a lot of 61 school that, you know, you pay half of the price. Uh, you pay half of the price for, because 141, in addition to that, in addition to, you know, the flying, you also have to buy ground school and you also have to buy materials from them and you also have to buy some places uniform and you also have to um you know they just 
put everything on there in the package and it adds up to be much more expensive than the 61 school. It's not, you know, it's sometimes it's like that and sometimes it's not. It really depends where you're going. Um, but I spoke with a friend of mine who um, went to a 61 school and it cost him half of the price that I paid and it took him half of the time that I spent uh, training. So it really depends where you're going. But um, Yeah, I think... Um... I think the positive of like paying that much is that, you know, you'll be guaranteed your hours that you book. So like I was just recently talking to some of my friends and they go to a 141 down in Oregon and they were saying that they fly every day, um, six days a week. So they're getting that practice in. They're also getting ready to become a CFI. So maybe that's why they're flying so much. But uh, at 61, so let, if you took the 61 that I'm going to, there's only one airplane and there's probably 20 students. So if um, I was supposed to fly yesterday, the airplane went on the 100 hour, so I couldn't fly. There's not another backup plane. So uh, and it, then it becomes exponentially harder to book your hours in because there's so many students wanting that time. So I think that can can be difficult for some people if you have a lag in your training, like some people need that back to back to back hours. Uh, whereas I may be flying two hours, or not two hours, but uh, four hours, two flight lessons a week, um, sometimes none, like next, next week, I don't have any flights booked, because there's just no time in the aircraft to book. So I think that those are the, the two different ones. But then like you said, like, you're paying a lot more for one for 41 versus 61. I think my training will come out to maybe 10,000, maybe 15,000, it kind of depends on how many hours I book for my PPL, you know, I'm not expecting to take my, my test at 40 hours. So I'm thinking that's about the range of what I'll be spending for my, for my lessons and stuff. But, um, I don't know how much 141 is. Emma could probably expand more on that. Yeah. I think the biggest things that I saw like a huge cost, a cost difference in my training was a lot of 141 schools operate out of larger airspace and larger like airports. So there's a lot of tack time that's just you chilling, you know, waiting oh, on yeah. the tarmac, waiting in line. All right. Now you got to take off. Now ATC is going to have to direct you out of your airspace. That takes another like 15 to 20 minutes sometimes, then you have to mosey on over to the practice area. Now you have to do all of that to come back. So there was a lot of time spent. And I think there was a video that I watched on YouTube before I started flight school. And it was this old guy. And that was his biggest thing. He was really pushing 161. And he was like, listen, at 141 schools, you're a lot of the time that you're paying for is time that could be way better spent somewhere else on your training. Um, and I saw that difference. Like I, I hate to use numbers, but my lessons were coming out around $600 a pop each time at my first school. When I moved over to my second school, they were anywhere between like 250, 300. If I had a longer lesson, it would be somewhere in the 350 to 400 range, which is that's significantly less than $600 every single flight lesson for about an hour, a solid hour of good flight training. That's just crazy. But that was my experience. I know everyone's experience is different. And, you know, a lot of people listening who 
our stands for the 141 program would probably say you're saving money because you're more proficient by having back-to-back -back lessons. But I think to each their own, everyone learns very differently. Yep. For sure. I agree. I agree. And I want to circle back to what you said regarding the um, airplane availability. I have a lot of people reaching out to me and say, hey, how do I choose the right school for me? Um, and I'm saying, you know, regarding of your learning style and regarding or regardless, excuse me, of your learning style and your position, like geographically, the most important questions that I ask a part 61 school when I'm going to it, if I want to be the student, is first of all, how many airplanes do you have? How many times, I, I, don't, I don't know, out of 10 flights, how many of those 10 flights going to ending up being a maintenance? Um, and that's the first thing. Second thing is I'm asking, um, do you have a backup? I don't want to say a backup instructor, but available CFI in case my CFI is sick so I can hop on with another CFI. Um, and the other thing that I'm asking is regarding the cost. Like, do you guys have anything else that I need to pay for aside from the airplane and the instructor? Because when I went to my 41 school, we didn't realize that after we've been there for, I want to say six, seven months, but uh, to my group, they overcharged us because we came as a group. So you want to clarify the costs, like additional costs, aside from the actual flight training. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a huge one. They get you with like, my school got me with like this, I think they called it like a lab fee or something. And it was all these books that I literally never used never like used. at the at the end of the day the my biggest things were like my e6b and things like that that i needed also like your far aim you really need to have that that's like a book that you'll need but other than that i was using king schools you know and that was another thing that they made me buy and they bought it for me and I'm paying them. So I don't even know how much I paid them for King schools. And they probably were charging me twice what it would cost me just to buy the program on my own. Um, so that's a huge one. Like they made us buy these, which I, my mom would refuse. She was like, you have a headset. You're not buying that headset. They wanted us to buy these terrible headsets and they were really expensive and when i compared the cost to like some of the stuff that i could find just on amazon i was like okay no <laughs> i'm not buying yep. your shitty headset excuse my french but <laughs> it's it's amazing how much they want to charge you if you're if you're not paying attention to that mm -hmm. um i i saw a conversation it was a uh, jason shepherd i think he was he's talking about a student he had um who on his intro flight intro flight had to buy all of the books and Bose A20. Oh my on God. On his interflight. Jesus. Lord have yeah. mercy. You know, that's the sick part about that is one other thought that I had is like, if you're somebody who doesn't come from an aviation background, you don't really know anything about aviation, you're going to throw your money at it because you really just don't know any better. And if you have professionals telling you something, who are you to like? question that um it, which is unfortunate which kind of reminds me of my next question that I wanted to ask you like what are some of the biggest like fundamental or like hmm, what would like be the word for it like at a um what's that called like at a business level do you what are what were the biggest flaws that you saw at 141 like on an administrative level 
Um, administrator. I think, oh, that's a good one. I think that whenever we had to interact with the administration departments of my school, they, that's very unfortunate. I'm, I'm, I'm very sad talking about it, but they treated you as if you are only, not even a client, you're just a number on the lock. You're just, you're just a paying, not even a customer, you're just paying, yeah. right? So they treated you with that low respect. Um, because you felt when you, whenever you're going to 141 school, I think um, it's very common to have a very big amount of students. Um, and it gets to the level where they don't really care who are you as long as you're paying. Um, and whenever you need something from them, they don't really treat you um, as they should treat you, especially when you're paying that amount of money. Um, and you're saying like, that, that, that doesn't make sense. I'm paying you so much money and I'm not getting the... Um, you know, the attention that I need um, for whatever case it is. And we had to spend a lot of our time dealing with administration stuff like leave of absence. And whenever you're going to 141 school, most of the students or some of the students are foreign. Okay. Um, as as if I'm saying that as a foreign. Um, and we sometimes have visa issues or if we have to go outside of the country to visit our families, they have to give us leave of absence. And they're not very much happy to give you that because as long if you are outside, they have like a drop rate. So they don't want to do that. To do that. Huh. I didn't even know that. Um, so I know we've kind of touched on a lot of like the negatives of 141, but do you think that the program, the 141 programs are are beneficial and if they are like can you explain that a little bit yes they're, they're definitely the beneficial um i think they're very very good as we mentioned uh, at the beginning they're very good for people who knows that that's what they're gonna do for their job not for people who are gonna do that for their fun um mm -hmm. there's a big difference over here i didn't realize that but there's a lot of there are a lot of people that um, are doing that primarily for the fun. So if they get into a 141 environment, they're going to get sick um, yeah. versus we're going to put them in a, in a flying club. They're just going to, you know, they're going to glow. Uh, and yeah. not glow, but enjoy. Um, yeah. um, so regarding when it's going to be beneficial, it's for those people. Now, um, it's, it needs to be said that 141 environments are very safe. They're very bounded. The, the fact that they're very bounded to checklists and syllabus, um, it makes the student to be very aware of, of you know, um, CRM and callouts and checklist usage. And when you combine that with, um, you know, flight training, you create a very good airline pilot, a very good airline pilot that knows how to walk in an environment of a team. Um, so that, that's very beneficial. That's very good. I learned a lot over there, a lot. Um, so that that's very good on that behalf. Is your uh, career tra trajectory to become an airline pilot? Yes, um, that's that's where I'm heading right now. I have uh, supposedly, fingers crossed, a class date coming in very soon. Um, but my... As soon as I, I got that class date, I said, I'm not stopping to be a CFI, especially not in a, in a Part 61 school. I love that so much, and that's, um, that's what I'm going to do.
That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. So uh, that's, oh, go, go for it. Uh, I was just going to roll right into my question for if um, you liked progressing to your role as a certified flight instructor. Um, and if you did, uh, were there any difficult parts for you as a CFI? Yeah. Um, yeah, I really, really like that. I think the CFI li uh, license or certificate uh, was very fun for me. I really like to teach. Uh, so I feel that almost came naturally. Um, it was very fun to simulate the instructor when you, when you were an instructor candidate, uh, to simulate that you are the instructor and you're talking and you're explaining. And I immediately fell in love with it. So um, I really liked that. And you said you mentioned maybe difficulties becoming a CFI. Um, I want to say that maybe doing everything at once, right? So mm -hmm. private pilot, you have to fly. Instrument. Uh, uh, instrument rating you have to fly and work with the instruments and commercial you have to work with passengers and CFI you have to do all of that and then also instruct um, and for me it's also instructing English which is not given mm -hmm. um, so that was a very challenging portion um, on my on my training to become a CFI uh, doing all of that and then taking like paying attention to the student are they actually getting something out of this flight are they actually enjoying you know um yeah. are they actually learning and you know you do your part of okay I'm, I'm giving my spiel of what a slow flight is um but no one teaches teaching you like hey pay, pay attention to the student look to the left for a second and check are they are they enjoying maybe they want to pull out their camera and take a picture um no one teaches you that um, yeah. So that's something uh, very important. I think most of the challenges are when you are actually a flight instructor. That's, oh, that's I'm sure. It, it seems like a very difficult job, especially because you have to instruct in a way that your student is absorbing it and everybody learns differently. So you do have to be able to uh, be able to change your teaching styles too so that can be that can be difficult especially if you've never really taught anything um, and I know some people really excel at being a flight instructor and others it's very difficult um, so I was just kind of wondering what your view of being a flight instructor was um, and I'm glad that you really enjoy it that's awesome yeah I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it and I agree it's, it's a very tailor-made environment Right. I can teach 20 students what is a power off stall. And then there will be this one student, student who comes over and I'm trying to explain one time and it doesn't click and it doesn't register. And you, you're, you mistakenly, you're saying, oh, okay, this student doesn't understand it and it's because of them. And in reality, it's not because they don't understand anything. It's just because you didn't touch the right points of how to explain something. And this is where you you need to become a better CFI and understand that this environment is tailor-made um, and you have to, okay, power off stall, it's, let's not talk about that as a maneuver. Let's go outside and let's simulate a landing. Um, and you know, you, you, you'll find your way on how to explain the same thing in a different way, but um, that was something that I had to realize. It took me some time to understand that not everyone um, understanding the same thing in the same way uh, and like I'm, I'm blame of sometimes like overflying a student one hour or two because I'm I'm like 
trying to drill. What what's going on over here? Why why is something doesn't click until I actually understand that they're not? It's just the way of me teaching and not their understanding. Yeah, yeah. That's humble of you to admit, um, which is admirable because a lot of CFIs, I wouldn't say a lot, but there are definitely CFIs out there that don't want to admit that it may be their teaching style, not the student. So mad respect for you for that. But I kind of wanted to go back to what you were saying about um, like the language barrier for you because you're foreign. So what have been the biggest barriers to your flight training being a foreign student? Um, so a couple of things. First of all, the, the, the language itself, right? So first of all, you need to absorb the knowledge. And for you to be able to absorb the knowledge, you have to understand the language. Because you're now opening, like, to be honest, I came straight out from the army, not even from high school. So I didn't study at all for like four years. And then after that, coming here and starting to study in a different language, in a different environment, that was, I, I can show you my P-hack. It's filled with like highlighted, like yellow highlight. And above each word, you have a different word in Hebrew that uh, translates it. Because I, I didn't understand anything. Um, so it took me a lot of time to understand, first of all, how do I study in a different language? So that was my first difficulty. The second difficulty was um, being able to speak on the radio. Mm. I mean, let's 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 face it. Middle Eastern slash Israeli accents are heavy, very difficult to dissipate. Right? Um, probably never will dissipate completely. Um, mm. So whenever you speak on the radio, even though even though you know what you're gonna say, they don't understand you. Um, mm -hmm. So so you have to kind of find 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 a way on how to say stuff. I, I mean, you know what you're saying, but you need to find a way to say it. Um, and then after that, it's just, yeah, it's it's talking on the radio mainly. Yeah, I cannot imagine. I'm like, oh my goodness, just thinking of that, having to yeah. study in a language that isn't your, what's that called? Like your first language. And then also like Maddie and I talk about this a lot. We have radio anxiety and I cannot imagine like, having the being anxious about maybe they're not going to understand me and I'm going to have to repeat this back to them multiple times over and now I'm clogging the radios it's like wow that is like a stressor that I didn't even think about I definitely thought about like the language barrier but not like the comms side of that yeah yeah cool um that would probably give me some stress definitely because like you said like you know what you're saying but uh, there are a lot of people who are it's they're hard to they don't understand an accent like it's hard for them to like tune into it uh, luckily I'm really good with accents like that's one of my good traits so I feel like if I fly in an airspace where someone has an accent like Mexico or something I'll be I'll be fine with that but I could totally see how stressful that would be speaking on the radios and just obviously trying to learn in your secondary language is English. So that would be definitely hard. Sorry if you guys can hear the train. It's rolling through and I have my windows open. But um, the other question and last one that I wanted to ask you was if you had any advice for foreign students that are looking at obtaining flight training in the United States, like how, what would you tell them to do to go about starting that? Um, so I would 
definitely try to like when I try to figure out where I'm gonna study at, the first thing I did was I'm trying to get as much as information that I can, not from the school. I tried to get as much as information that I could from people that are studying at the school and they have no benefit whatsoever from you coming there. Um and I spoke with them and I, I, to be honest, I bothered them. I know I did, but I just kept on asking them questions. Hey, how many times do you have to study? What's the cost for that and that and that? What do you do in that and that and that? What, what should I study before? So um, first of all, speak with people that are already in the school and already registered and also ask them, do you recommend me of any other school? Um, so that's the first thing that I would recommend. The second thing is what I said before. I had a friend who came over. I studied in Florida. So I had a friend who came from Israel to Florida and we went together almost hand by hand um, to like three or four different schools together. I was like, I was there to just ask the right, the right questions because she didn't know what to ask. So I was like almost guiding her. Um, I asked about maintenance. I asked about airplane availability. I asked about CFI's availability, about state checks, about syllabus, about... Um, what do you do if uh, the weather is not good? What do you do if the maintenance is not? So kind of th those are the questions that I would always recommend to ask because um, I was surprised to see schools that are flying consistently. Uh, the CFIs are flying, for example, like 90, 80 hours, hours a month and they have only two airplanes because they always have a backup. Okay. So, so the situation that you mentioned before that you can fly because the airplane went to a uh, hundred hour inspection, um, that would be uh, resolved in that, in that yeah. situation. Um, yeah, we're hoping to get some planes back online here at the school, but it's been months and months, and I think they had to go for total engine overhaul. So that's why it's taking so oh, long. Oh, yeah. yeah. Having the one, so. and then it always because it's basically getting a hundred hour every month because we're flying it that much so yep. yeah i agree well we did and skip I over one question that i wanted to ask you because i think i remember when we spoke previous to recording um you had talked a little bit about like the sport pilot's license and you were a big advocate of that if i'm remembering correctly yeah yeah, so can um, you so, expand on that a little bit further and like explain to me why you're an advocate of that? Sure. Um, so I, um, first of all, I didn't actually interact with any of like sport pilot license um, uh, whatsoever until I actually became a CFI, like after like 10 months of being a CFI. Um, my school that I taught in, I'm um, still teaching in, um, has a skycatcher. Skycatcher, the Cessna 162, which is a light sport airplane, um, which is a great tool because you can either do private pilot on it or sport pilot on it, um, which is great. Now, why it's so great is because um, you can, God forbid, right, have a situation where you will be disqualified for medical, right? Um so in that case, there are a lot of people that are saying, you know what, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through the medical process. So I'll just, I'll just, you know, I'll forfeit, I'll, I'll give it up. And the sport pilot allows you to 
go through a, you know, same process almost as a private pilot certificate and without needing to have the, the medical certificate. Um, and I saw, I walked with a lot of students that quote unquote had issues with medical, but not really, um, mm -hmm. like an ADHD, um, mm -hmm. what's it called, like medicine. Um, but they don't really, they really disqualify for being a private pilot. So I was able to assist them and, and get them through their uh, training with a sport pilot license. That was great. This is why, this is why I'm so advocate of it because everyone can get it if as long as they are actually, you know, mentally and physically capable of. Yeah. What are the limitations of the sport pilot's license? Um, it comes down to uh, very, very generic limitations such as like weight of the airplane it cannot exceed like 13 20 pounds um how many passengers which usually you and another passenger um horsepower speed I'm not sure if speed i don't want to say incorrect stuff but uh i know it's horsepower and uh, and if you want to fly in like class maybe. yeah maybe out you then if you want to fly in class charlie and delta and that sort of stuff but you have to get a special endorsement um, I gotcha. that's 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 the gist of it. Like aside of that, you pretty much can do anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you um talking about that. And that was one that I did not want to skip over because, you know, we have a lot of people ask us that question and anything that I'm always, I'm such a big advocate for getting people in the air. And when it's little things like an ADHD diagnosis, when they were five years old, I just don't think it's fair to take someone's like dream away from them. I mean, you probably know this, but there are, I would say that most people that go into aviation, it's because it's something that is a passion for them. It's something that they fell in love with. So it just breaks my heart to see people not be able to reach that goal. Yeah, I agree. I have a, a very good uh, student of mine who was in the military, like the Air Force Academy, right? He was that good. Mm -hmm. Um, and he one day got like one of the, one of those diseases, I forgot its name, um, which is that kind of disease that just comes and goes. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but the army didn't want to interact with it, which uh, I'm not going to express my opinion on that, but, uh, the army was like, you know what, we don't want to deal with it. So just, just leave. Right. Um, and he left with this, um, uh, feeling of, oh my God, I want to become a pilot then. And he stepped to our club and said, like, hey, I want to be a pilot. And, you know, the guy's good. The guy's good mentally, physically. He was in the Air Force Academy. He's good. Um, and he couldn't go through his medical process. And that was heartbreaking. Um, we figured out a way eventually how to do that. But um, I'm, I'm happy this guy is about to finish his flight training. But he's also my friend now. But, you know, we could have missed this guy. Could have just, you know, have someone with, uh, we called it the, broken uh broken dream club um you don't want to have him there yeah yeah well i'm glad that you're able to be a resource for people like that and that you're like helping them because what you said about the broken dreams club there are a lot of haters in that club um who want you in that club really really bad and want you to be sad with them um and they will try to convince you that there is no way possible but i love that you're you know being vocal about this so thank you for sharing that on the podcast and 
thank you for joining us. Um, this was an awesome conversation. We are not quite finished yet. We always do three fun questions at the end of the show. So I'll let Maddie start us off with that. But thank you again. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yes, we're so happy to talk with you today, Segi. Um, so I'm going to move on to the fun part of our, although this has been a fun conversation, I will say, but the fun <laughs> questions are more like, you know, the fun parts about you. So I centered them around food since I knew that you were from Israel and I was like, I want to know your thoughts on American food. So the first one is what's your favorite fast food joint in the area that you live in, in the United States? Oh, that's that's probably gonna be in and out um, okay yeah yeah big Ooh. shout out to in and out i, I really <laughs> like that you kind of just told everyone where you live but i know that you said san francisco but that's like so central to california um and i'm not a massive in and out fan but my husband is um and i totally get why you love it because it's just yeah. like a california favorite every time i go to in and out in california massive line like without fail it's, it, it's, I agree with that. And uh, another thing they have, which I didn't realize up until like seven months ago, they have like a secret menu. So yes, if you want some like an animal style or animal fries, then you can choose uh, how fried your fries will be. And so many things that they, uh, up until <laughs> this date, I'm still discovering. Oh my gosh. Yep. They have that. I figured that out a while ago. I used to live in San Diego when I was 19 and I figured out oh, nice. the animal fries and I've been addicted to them ever since. But uh, Emma, have you been to an In-N-Out? I have not. And it is like my goal because whenever I see a picture, like it is just, there's something about like those fries and like the thin patty with the, like I'm a burger girl. um, So I would really, really like to go. I know when I, I really want to go to California and Maddie, we just need to do that. And that's the first yes. thing we're going to do is go to In-N-Out. Oh, yes. yes. That's the first thing I did. <laughs> Palm Springs, Emma. We'll do in and out in Palm Springs. Fine. Yep. Animal style. Yes. <laughs> Animal style. Uh, what is what about you, you, Emma? Me? Yeah. Well, I honestly have to give it to cookout. I love Bojangles and Bojangles is like a big Southern thing. They're very popular where I'm from. Maddie knows very well because we always go to Bojangles when Maddie comes to visit. But <laughs> I've never taken you to cookout, but cookout is a South Carolina, North Carolina staple. And they have like literally everything you could ever possibly imagine from like burgers to quesadillas, cheese curds, cheese fries. Like, Ooh. oh my God, it is amazing. If, and if you ever have the opportunity, if you're in the South, Bojangles and cookout, cookout, just, you gotta have it. It, the other big thing about cookout when I was growing up is they stay open until two o'clock in the morning. So that was where we went after parties and stuff. So we could get our munchies. That's an important, mm. that's an important yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> open late, open late, but Maddie, what about you? And I know what you're going to say, which makes I know you know. I just love I know you, you so know. much. Everybody, <laughs> if anybody listens to this podcast religiously, they know what I'm going to say, because I say it every time it's freaking Taco Bell, but, and I know you can find that everywhere. We don't really have like a, a local fast food. I think the only one that we have that maybe nobody else has is um, taco time. That's like a Pacific Northwest, but I like Taco Bell better than Taco Time. And the only thing that's better at Taco Time that Taco Bell doesn't have is they have these like what they call Mexi fries, which are basically like fried tater tots. 
um Mm -hmm. and they're really good like they're really like crispy and they have like a little spice that they add on to it that oh they're so good so taco time if I'm gonna say like a specific p&w fast food restaurant but taco bell wins out for me every time if I'm gonna have a choice also uh taco bell cantina I know they only have like a handful of those um I don't know the branches but they have them in California, the cantinas, but I there's not a Taco Bell cantina here in Washington. I don't think, or at least I've never been to one. Um, Emma, I don't know if you know what the cantina is, but it has like the alcohol and stuff. We have one in downtown Raleigh and it is oh. a vibe. Yeah. Okay, so the, I need to go there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I know when we go yep. visit North Carolina to do our tour of North Carolina, we'll have to hit up the Taco Bell cantina. <laughs> Yes, for sure. It's great. T-Bell. Okay, next question, Segi, is what American food do you think should be abolished or just like straight out getting rid of? Oh, getting rid of? Yeah, uh, like you wouldn't eat it and it's just gross to you. So it's a very unpopular opinion. Don't uh, don't hate me on that. Um, I'm a very, I really like sweets. Um, and especially uh, Belgian waffle. Oh, yes. Um, and it has to come with sweet things. I really, really, really don't like when they put chicken and eggs and bacon on it. That should stop. That should be illegal. That should be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Please stop I love that. <laughs> yeah. No chicken. And, I would have never guessed that your answer would be like chicken, chicken and waffles. And waffles. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love chicken and waffles. That is like the best combination I've ever had. I literally just had it when I was with Emma in Charleston. On my last meal, I had chicken and waffles. Dude, yeah. I... I told you unpopular opinion. <laughs> yeah, <But>. very. <laughs> I could I can understand that though. Like sometimes I I really have to be in a mood to do the sweet and the savory all at once. Oh, I just mm. now that you said chicken and waffles, I'm craving it. <laughs> all right i want to know what your answer is going to be though maddie what american food do i think should be just like totally abolished god but that's actually hard for me because i don't have very many foods that i just don't like um so you're gonna have to circle back because i like okay. a lot of foods that people would never like like fake cheese you know like yeah that stuff and i think a lot well, of people like that <laughs> Mine's going to have to be beige foods. So like a beige casserole, like a white casserole or a beige casserole. And those aren't like the names of the casserole. Those are just the colors. If it's it's a white casserole, I'm not eating it. If it's a beige casserole, I'm not eating it. Get rid of casseroles. Like there are some of them that are good. Like, you know, I'll eat the green bean casserole on um, Thanksgiving. I will eat it. But all of the rest of them, please. Like, and as somebody who has lost like, like family members and anyone who has like had a family member die, you know, that the month after they die, all you That's eat is you. casseroles. And I oh hate casseroles now. I hate them. <laughs> yeah. Um, you just reminded me, I know what it is. My, I think what should be abolished is all the, um, the baby animals that they kill. So like, um, the veal, Oh, oh yeah veal or um and also the duck the foie gras oh they... foie gras yeah yeah, yeah that's messed Ooh. up that's some messed up I stuff agree. right there i haven't eaten I like 
either of those things but like just to think about it I'm like no I just could never so veal is I hate to say it because I'm an animal girl but veal is literally one of the like oh my god veal is amazing um they I think it's veal salt and boca is what I'm thinking of but it's one of my favorite meals and you can only really get it in like a restaurant because like who's going out to the Harris Teeter to buy veal. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if you could buy it at like the grocery store like that. You probably have to go to a butcher. But yeah, no, I kind of a simp for veal and baby lamb. Oh, isn't veal baby lamb or is veal baby, baby cow. cow? Baby cow. Baby cow. Yeah. Ba- baby. What's baby lamb? I feel like there's like a meal that like baby baby lamb is like very popular, but I just lamb meat girl give it to me give it to me the best meat the best meat i turn into an absolute carnivore like just totally primal when it comes to a lamb and the sad part is they're my favorite animal like i think they're the cutest animal in the world but i love the way they taste (laughs) that's terrible i know it's messed up okay but all right we're gonna move on to the next question okay last question is if you had to choose between eating a hot dog or a burger for the rest of your life, what would you pick? I'll start with you. Sam. Hands down, hands down, burger. Hands yeah. down. Um, oh my god, I love that so much. Um, we in Israel we have places that I'm sure we have them uh, in America as well. Um, that are only doing burgers. That's what they do. They don't do anything else besides burgers. I'm not talking about like In and Out style. McDonald's and all of that. I'm talking about in a very high class type of thing. Um, so you you choose your meat um, by the weight, and you choose everything. It's it's uh, burgers are hands down the best thing. I I gotta agree with you. That's that's my answer as well. I well, I knew that was gonna be your answer since you said you're a burger girl. Uh, and I agree with you guys. I love a burger. I just love like melted cheese on a meat. Mm. but i have an affinity for hot dogs i know you do i was little like i just love fucking hot dogs i know they're the worst meat for you but even when i when i used to be like vegan vegetarian i used to get the fake hot dogs because they taste like a literal hot dog like i love the flavor of a hot dog and so yeah i'll I'll be the oddball out and i'll go with hot dogs i actually never tried the cheese poker you've not tried a cheeseburger never you have not lived you need to have a cheeseburger (laughs) yeah and and i like it without it so i'm sure with it it's gonna be a mind-blowing experience oh yes dude that's the that is the way that is the way the only way i love (laughs) there's just nothing better than a really thin crispy like oh my gosh okay i just have to say it have you had five guys yet Saggy? Um, I had their chips, not the actual poker yet. Hmm. Okay, you have got to have a Five Guys burger because you would love it. It's like kind of, um, you can't like choose what kind of meat you want, but you can choose how many patties you want, what you want on top of it. And they have like, you can do fresh jalapenos or grilled jalapenos, fresh onions or caramelized onions. I mean, like the options mm. are endless. And when I tell you I'm, my mouth is watering right now, Five Guys is one of the best fast food burgers, in my opinion, on top of underrated Sonic. 
And speak of a good hot dog, Sonic has an amazing hot dog. They're like foot long coney thing is really, really good. Mm. It's that is so American, but yeah, Sonic <laughs> does a good yeah. burger and a good hot dog. Yum. So yeah, nope. they win that one for me. But all right. I don't know if we can talk about food much longer because I'm gonna start getting nauseous. I'm like so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and saggy i know that you are tired you have just flown into israel for your wedding nonetheless congratulations mm-hmm. um Thank we you. are both wishing you just the most wonderful most magical loving week of your life time of your life um i know this is huge so congratulations and thank you so much again for making the time to do this i know weddings are busy 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 so making the time to do this right now means a lot to us so we sure do appreciate it thank you very much guys all right well that is it for this week's episode thank you all so much for listening as always keep the blue side up and the brown side down we'll see y'all next week